All right, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Gaucho Amigos. I'm Alex. Today we have a very special guest, Kenny Vance. Kenny was a uh, singer and founding member of the group Jay and the Americans, uh, a group that had a whole bunch of hits uh, in the 60s. You know, he's had a long and successful career in the music business, but for the purposes of this podcast, you know, he had an important role in uh, launching the careers of Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. I mean, he was essentially the person who discovered them back in the late 60s at the Brill Building. He kind of stumbled upon them and decided to take them under his wing, you know, setting them up with a little studio. And he brought them out on tour in his group, Jay and the Americans. Uh, he even eventually was the one to connect them to Gary Katz. And, uh, you know, above all, he was the one who really took notice of uh, Donald and Walter's talents, you know, at a time when no one else really did. So Kenny uh, ultimately deserves a lot of credit for pretty much the entire existence of Steely Dan. And uh, Kenny was kind enough to join me on Zoom to kind of tell the whole story, you know, how he came to know and collaborate with uh, Donald and Walter back in the 60s. Kenny uh, is also the person who, for many years, had in his possession all of the pre-Steely Dan songs, those early Brill Building songs uh, that Donald and Walter recorded, uh, some of which he ended up releasing himself, some of which uh, ended up kind of leaking out against Kenny's will. We talk about all this in the episode. Uh, and actually, at the end, I play a song called Take a Dip with Dinah that I've actually never seen on any of the uh, Fagan and Becker bootlegs that are circulating. I think Kenny just kind of put it out very quietly, you know, recently within the last couple of years. Uh, and it features Donald on keys, Walter on bass, Denny Diaz on guitar, and uh, Kenny himself on lead vocals. So stick around for that. I had never heard that one before. So maybe you haven't either, even if you're a diehard uh, Steely Dan collector. Um, also want to mention before I share the interview that Kenny recently made a documentary called heart and soul that came out earlier this year. And, uh, it's about the early days of rock and roll. You can find more info on that at kennyvance.com. All right. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Kenny Vance. Enjoy. You know, if you see something before everybody else sees it, and then, you know, at that point, you know, you could you could appear that this might be something wrong with you or that you're wrong. Because all of the people that I approached said, you know, we don't we don't hear it. But as the years go by, it seems like a, like a like like sort of a dumb brag. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> who? Who, who wouldn't get it? That's what you think now. Yeah. Who wouldn't have thought? Who wouldn't have seen it? Yeah. And you're referring to recognizing the talents of uh, yeah, yeah, two yeah. young gentlemen named Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Correct. I want to start by asking, you know, because some listeners might not know. And I know this was an important place for you, not just, you know, in terms of your relationship with, with Steely Dan, but in, in general, uh, what is the Brill Building? In the in the middle fifties, 
it was a building where a lot of uh, songwriters and publishers hung out. Uh, there were two bar. It's on 49th Street and Broadway in, in New York City, in Manhattan. In those days, anybody could... You see, the, the main record companies like RCA, Columbia, Decca didn't really want to have anything to do with this emerging rock and roll music. So in those days, for $300, you could do a session and conceivably sell a million copies. Yeah. And so a lot of a lot of people that had no musical talent <laughs> at all got into the business <laughs> and they would find people you know, off of the off of the off of the Brooklyn streets or the Manhattan streets, these doo-wop groups that that actually had those kind of hits, hit hits that sold you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of of records. So, one day, in my neighborhood, we we had a, a group, and. Uh, and there were three people, myself, Sandy Aguda, and Sidel Sherman. And um, we uh, uh, called ourselves the Harbolites. And we got, there was a guy in the neighborhood. And and none of these people were, were musically talented. But in those days, jukeboxes mm. were a big deal. So if you could, if you could uh, put records on a jukebox in a diner, you considered yourself in the record business. <laughs> and uh, there were a lot of illicit people that got involved with in the jukebox business. Right. So we knew a guy in our neighborhood and he had a company in 1619 Broadway, which was uh, Ivy Records. And they had a big hit record with the Deltaires, Lullaby of the Bells. We would go into there and the guy that there was a manager in that building and he managed people like the mellow kings that had a big hit record he managed people like uh the mystics who had a big hit record hushabai the passions but he also had songwriters up there al cooper was up there yeah uh paul simon was up there mm -hmm. and i'm talking regularly and uh, they actually, you know, gave songs to some of these groups. And uh, we, as the Harbolites, we would, like a, like a Motown thing, we would do backgrounds on some of the group's records. And then one day, uh, Jay Trainer, who was the, the original lead singer of Jay and the Americans, he didn't really want to be with the Mystics anymore. And we really didn't want to be with the, the the girl that was in our group because it was cooler to be with an old guy's group so somebody knew jerry lieber and mike stola who had an office in the brill building and uh they got us an audition and we learned a few songs and we wound up going up there and, and auditioning for them and uh they liked what they heard and and they and they started to record us and about with a, less than a year into it, we, me being maybe 18, Jay Trainer being 17, 
had a hit had a top five record in the United States. Which one called was that? She, called she cried. She cried. Yeah, that's one of your big one of your biggest hits, right? It was a, it was the first one. It was first the first. One. And Lieber and Stoller, had they already had a string of hits? I mean, they're they're famous well, songwriters. So Lieber and Stoller, you know, wrote Hound Dog. Yeah. So they, they they were blues producers. They produced Big Mama Thornton singing Hound Dog. So, you know, they produced us and we started a, a career in the, uh, I guess, show business. Yeah. And uh so that's pretty much the Brill Building at the time, though, in case people are interested, uh, and uh, you know, had Elvis Presley music was in there, Hill and Range music, uh, Pierre Southern was in there, which was the publisher of uh, of uh, Hank Williams and uh, Buddy Holly and uh, other country people and. Uh, so that there was there were many of those companies in that in the brill building at that time yeah. so that's yeah. that that got me to the brill building and then years later i guess in the late 60s so that was 1961 62 okay by 68 we had uh we had a bunch of hits in 66 and a, and and maybe we started to cool off in 1967, 1968. We opened an office in the Brill Building, and that's where I met Donald and Walter. I don't like waiting for a knock on the door. So we had an office on the fourth floor. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller were still on the tenth floor, and in, in the Brill Building at that time. So one day, you know, these two guys come in. You know, I remember that. You know, if you ever saw the the uh, cover of uh, of uh, Becker and Fagan in the early years, yeah, that's who that's who they were. Okay. And the, I think Donald had a like a like a tan uh, raincoat, you know, raincoat on, and Walter, I don't, I don't remember. What were they doing there? Were they they just knock on your door? I mean, how did yeah. you? Yeah, they just knocked on the door, and, and they came in, and that, the guy got me. The you know the guy, the uh, office guy got got me, and I he said these two guys are out there, you know, you want you know. I said fine, you know, let me go say hello. So I, I went there and they, they said, we took an elevator up to the top floor of the Brill Building and we've been walking down. We were on the, it was about 
12 floors, 11 maybe. And we've been walking down and no one will listen to us because we don't have a tape. <laughs> okay. So I said, well, I have a piano inside. You know, it was a stand, an upright piano. And uh, I said, why don't you guys, uh, you know, come on in. And so uh, Walter stood on the side of the piano and Donald sat down at the piano and I was there. And they started to play uh, like the brain tap shuffle. Mm -hmm. They played that song at the first time? Yeah, and they played Shuffling Up Your Downs. Right. And, you know, I wasn't, and I'm still, maybe still not, I wasn't a sophisticated guy because I had grown up, you know, singing doo-wop in the subway. Yeah. But we had a trajectory that had taken us all over, you know, to Europe and and uh we had played with the Beatles and 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 and, and worked with Burt Backrack and so so there was something about it that that uh you know that touched me. And uh I I was you know engaged with it right away. So you got a you got a good sense of them right off the bat. You 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 were you, you felt that there was something about these guys that was different. Yeah, I kept thinking this is a guy. This guy's the combination between like Burt Bagrack and George Gershwin. I didn't even really know. I didn't <laughs> know what references, but I just knew that it was it was something, you know. And I guess people in those days. You know, if it wasn't in the groove of what was happening, they weren't interested in it. And what was happening at the time were, you know, group people like, you know, not putting Leslie Gore, you know, it's my yeah. party and I'll cry if I want to, that kind of stuff. And um, so that that began a uh, a relationship with with them. So you were impressed by what they did. Where did the relationship go from there? So, I mean, they played their songs, you know, they played some of these songs that eventually you recorded in some form. Um, you know, where did it go with you and Donald and Walter? Well, I figured that there was a recording studio in the building. Like it was, I think it was mono, maybe two track. Okay. And, um, and uh, it was in Pier Southern. And the engineer's name was Charlie Mack. And I remember going up there, and Lionel Hampton was there. He was making a record. Okay. You know, after hours. After hours, you could come in there and, 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 make, a, and make a record. And so we, uh, we went up there, and I think the first... I don't, I don't read, you know, it's a while ago. I think <laughs> the first bunch of stuff that we did might have been piano. And uh, maybe Walter just off to the side. And, and I, I don't think that, that, and, and I think that the vocal and the piano were done live. Okay. And uh, there was, there, there are, you, there are examples of that, you know, out in the world. 
and then as time went by we we put together a little band yeah and it was john mazzy and john decepolo both drummers with jane the americans were the drummers on those records and uh they found denny diaz and they found keith thomas uh and who sang on they, a bunch of the songs right he, he sang on a bunch of the songs yeah right undecided yep and he sang on uh was he a horse in town was that him yeah that's exactly right yeah and but you yeah. sang on a couple too right so you were involved a little bit well you know i don't want to i'm trying to stay you know <laughs> in, in the pocket here but okay i remember you know i wound up they wanted me to be the singer. Wow. And um and basically, you know, Walter was more of the of the singer at that time. And they would do duets like with Don't Take a uh, uh, with like with Come Back Baby and uh Don't Let Me Don't Let Me In. Those kind of things. And then They'd be singing together, right? Donald and Walter. We'd be singing together. And, and then, then didn't Walter, even Walter take lead on a couple tunes? And and Walter would take leads on, yeah. on things. Wow. And uh and Walter took lead on the mock turtle song. Okay. And uh <laughs> I don't know, I remember this. That's impressive. But, yeah. I tried to, you know, I brought these things to people, like, like, uh, actually brought it to uh, the guy. He 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 published uh, Barry White and Burt Backrack. Okay, so he brought these demos to him. Yeah, and he he, you know, they didn't. It was it was too far out. Yeah, it was too far out. Really. So Donald and Walter kind of were trying to break in, and you were the one who heard something you know you heard that yeah. these guys oh, are yeah. different or talented but nobody else really did i mean you were the one who was kind of like yeah come to the brill building okay we'll set you up with a little studio you can record some demos i mean it was all you yeah it's 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 i don't say that egotistically it's just you know you ask yeah. donald you know sure, <laughs> you know ask donald and um then a friend of mine was doing a, a, a film in those days, uh, people like Scorsese and 
Brian De Palma were doing these independent films. Scorsese's film was uh, uh, Who's That Knocking, I believe, and by the Genies, and because these guys were real doo-wop freaks. Yeah. And uh, and Brian De Palma did a few films. And then this guy, Peter Locke, was doing a film called uh, You Gotta Walk It Like You Talk It. And so I sang... Um, roll back the meaning okay oh and by the way and 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 then i i wound up putting them in jay and the americans you know yeah let's talk about that that happened before the the movie right that happened like you know a little bit before you brought them into jay and the americans yeah because they needed a job right yeah well you know whether they did or not that, (laughs) that that was that was the uh that was the party line at the time Okay. And uh, they uh, so they 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 started to come on gigs with us, and we played in uh, we played at a, a like a mafia place in um, in Fort Lauderdale called the Bachelors Three, and um, you know by then there were a lot of those kind of guys around the office. Because in those days, wise like guys? a lot of hmm? wise guys, yeah, wise guys, I guess you <laughs> could say. And there was a lot of those guys around the different independent production companies. And there were guys around our office as well. And sometimes they would come on the road with us. So I kind of was in the middle. I had Becker and Fagan on one side, and I had these mafia guys on the other side. I was kind of like, like uh, it was, it was like a collision of worlds. The gangsters, you know, they were older guys, and they, you know, were in suit sharks, you know, suits and you know ties and stuff like that, and and these other two guys were like dressed like bums, <laughs> and uh, and um. You know they didn't really get it. You know they 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 had nothing nothing in common. And it was just an interesting perspective that for for me. Yeah. But, so what uh, the wise guys think of Donald and Walter? Just thought they were these two weirdos. Oh, they just thought they were like, you know, they they had no re- to tell you. To be honest with you, yeah. Or they never interacted with them, but just physically looking. You know, they they had no frame of reference for what this was. Yeah. Were you surprised that Donald and Walter wanted to uh, be in this group? I mean, since it was so different than the music that they were making themselves, or was it not that different, actually? Like, it made no, sense. No, it, it, music is, you know, it was, it, it was, I don't know, I said to do, I don't, I don't remember, you know, I was yeah. older than them, maybe they, they thought I knew something, <laughs> and I, I I wound up uh, saying, "No, I, I, you know, we'll put you in Jane the Americans. You play the piano and you play the bass, and uh, and and that was, you know, that was it. Because we always had a, a, a two guys that were doing that, but they yeah. were never really in the group. What was it like being on tour with them when they were young? You know, they pretty much." Uh, you know, I remember we played in Florida once. You know, not at the Bachelors Three, but at the place called the Newport Land, uh, the the 
Seven Seas Lounge at the Newport Hotel. And I think there was a, a like a, I don't remember, the, it was a boxing match was on. And we went across the street, like, to get something to eat at Arby's. You know, so, you know, and then actually I had some film of them in the room with us, with me anyway. And then and then Walter went out and he was shooting hoops, you know, and, and basically had I have that fit footage someplace. And, um, you know, but we, you know, when that was over. You know, look, it was a chance in my mind there wasn't, you know anybody using anybody it was just like you know we here's a hundred bucks or whatever it was a hundred two hundred i have no idea it was something like that it was they a always just it was they goofed on it you know it was a goof <laughs> to them and um you know it'd be interesting to ask donald you know what he thought of some of these guys you know maybe yeah. you know because he he was there uh and they didn't have any other options. I mean, like you said, no one else was really that interested in what they were doing. So you were the Nobody, one who kind of took the leap of faith and were like, hey, come on tour with us, right? I actually brought them up to uh, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stola's office one day. And that was incredible because Jerry Lieber and Mike Stola and Donald Walter. And uh, I was singing some of the songs because Donald wouldn't do it. Walter was the front man. Walter you was know, the front man. Ironically. Oh, yeah. Walter was the guy. <laughs> Donald was sort of inverted. But I, I didn't see it that way. But but that's the way, you know, that that's how it walked through life, I guess. That's so funny because then Donald ended up being the, the front man. Something well, shifted I always... that and then 1972 because... You know, Donald took lead on Reeling in the Years. He took lead on you know, all their songs. Well, well, yeah. On, 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 but they still had a couple of those guys in that group in the first album because he still wasn't sure that that's what he was going to do. And, and, and the moment that it happened, so we, I sang, I don't remember exactly who was singing the harmony, but, but, but uh, Roll Back the Meaning. I sang If It Rains and uh, I think one of the guys in Jane the Americans, Marty Cooper Smith, sang You Gotta Walk It Like You Talk It. And when I heard like the song that he wrote, You Gotta Walk It Like You Talk It, I thought, like, who could just, like, it just was extraordinary to me. <laughs> It's like who could write this out of the you know out of the blue? Who could write this? Yeah. Ain't no man can tell you what's right or wrong for you. Cause you gotta know what you need to know to know what you got to do. You gotta walk it. Just like you talk it up, be sure you're gonna lose that beat. Yeah, you gotta walk it. Just like you talk it up, be sure you're gonna lose that beat. And I, and I really knew that Donald in my and, and was writing the songs mostly.
What'd you think of Donald's voice when he did sing, when he did take lead? He, I thought, you know, I thought his, his phrasing was unbelievable. So, yeah. so now I go out to sing Dog Eat Dog. Okay. And I had heard him sing it, you know, at the piano. I said, you do it because <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it as good as you. Your phrasing on this is 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 exactly what it is. So he reluctantly went out there and did it. And I think at the end, he kind of yells. If you listen yeah. carefully to the vocal, he's yelling at the end. And it was just like, okay, we're done. That's it. <laughs> and then, you know, and then, you know, the movie came out. There was actually a, a real album. Peter Southern paid for it. Uh, and, you know, and so that was, that was, that wasn't nothing, you know, but of, of course, you know, Walter always like, you know, had to like, ah, this is always had to, you know, be negative about, about it. Walter was the and, one who was, who was down on it a little bit. I think both of them were, but yeah. Donald wasn't, you know, Walter was just like, he'd let you know. Was it that the final product didn't meet like what they thought they were capable of? Like it didn't meet their, you know, standards or. At the time. Yeah. You know, knowing what we know now, you probably <laughs> would think, uh, you know, that it wasn't. And I, I think that they were, were learning their way, you know, all of these things were like going to school and each one of them was, a, was an experience, you know, that, that, that's how you I think you learn to be a good record producer and I think that that's what those those in retrospect I think that that's what those those things were I thought it was I thought Doggy Dog was great yeah Stranded in Red Hook I check in the black book for anybody's care I run into guess who a loser to rescue but there's nothing left to say Did you mentor them on any aspects of uh, show business or the music biz in general? I don't know. Maybe just by being around me, you know, I don't know. I, whatever that was, possibly. What was there? So when they were recording demos, right, at the Brill Building, I assume they were kind of taking the lead in terms of how they were recording those songs because later in Steel A Dan, they became famous for like production and, and you know, the ways in which they represented the songs. That oh, they yeah. Were very no, I, original. I, 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 I didn't, you know, they, he, they would go in and they would, they, and then they would play. And if whoever the drummer was and, it would, you know, and there it was, there's the track. Anything unusual about their, their style of, of recording songs, anything innovative or. Well, uh, 
there, there, there did come a time after the original bunch of songs, which was uh, the Mock Turtle song, Don't Let Me In, uh, Come Back Baby. You know, those were attempts at trying to make masters. I think Undecided was was part of that session. I don't remember yep. exactly what else. We went to a different studio, which I think had eight tracks. And, you know, I would just, oh, okay, let's double the vocals. Or let's double the backgrounds. Oh, no. We're not doing that. Donald and Walter said that, or you said that? Oh, yeah, 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 we're not doing that. Because, because I, because, you know, I think that the thing that I didn't know and I, I think the thing that probably was part of their part of their aesthetic take on everything was that they they knew uh, jazz records, and that was that was they knew Duke Ellington. They knew <laughs> uh, they knew that stuff, and. Uh, you know, sometimes I would go to Donald's apartment and, you know, just like, you know, I wouldn't sit down and listen to it, but I I heard it. You would hang out with Donald at his place? Yeah. As a matter of fact, in Park Slope, there was a friend of mine, uh, Richie Lifshitz, who uh, also lived there. And he became friends with Walter and Walter would go over there and he would feed him and they would play chess. Okay. That's cool. And uh, yeah, you know, they lived near me in Brooklyn. I would pick them up every just about every day. They lived on pre he lived on President Street. Yeah. He wrote Brooklyn owes the charmer under me, who was the super of the building. So Brooklyn owes the charmer under me, which is one of these early Brill building songs that eventually became a Steely Dan song that was written based on their time living in Brooklyn when, you know, they were working with you at, at Brill. Yeah, and that's where, you know, I, I believe, you know, Elliot Randall, you know, played with us, meaning the Jay and the Americans. So that's where, you know, how I probably brought him around to play solo on um, Brooklyn O's The Charmer. You know, I kind of watched this whole thing happen. Yeah. You know, and I was out of it. So that was, you know, not, I wasn't real. Uh, I, I don't know. I felt, you know, betrayed and, and um, you know, it was very uncomfortable. But 
you know, but I watched the progression of of Donald from the first album to the second album to the third one, and you you hear you see him incrementally coming out vocally. That's true. To the culmination of it on Asia, yeah, where there's a guy singing, yeah, but otherwise it's if he's just part of the whole weave of the whole thing and i i think you know in some of the duke ellington albums you know where you hear all of the different counter rhythms melodic things going on i i i believe that when when i heard do it again i thought oh this is this is it he figured it out <laughs> what did they figure out they figured out that you could have a hit with a three chord song, but if you were listening carefully, you would hear all of the stuff going on. All of the other melodies and all of the other things that, that I guess up until that time were featured and it prohibited most people from hearing it or, or, or uh, letting it in. And so, you know, I thought, oh boy, he figured that he figured it out. And I just thought it was, you know, phenomenal that 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 took place. And I, you know, and there it was. It took X amount of years of of staying doing your craft like any painter or author or whatever. And you 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 start to weed out the stuff that doesn't work and you focus on, on the stuff that you and I guess they realized if we don't have a hit we're you know we're we're done we're not we're, we're you know we're not gonna you know this is not gonna happen for us N knowing that and 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 maybe uh discovering that particular uh style yeah well luckily we they had a few big hits right off the bat because then they were able to kind of carry that momentum you know they were given license by these you know by the studios to make albums for you know the rest of the 70s so right right you mean by dunhill yeah by abc so you yeah. said you felt betrayed is it because they ditched you for la and did their own thing is that what you were well I, I i mean it was just came as such a shock because yeah. you know i guess in my mind or i guess i thought you know that that even though we had hit an impasse with everything that we were doing I was still committed to it and whatever, you know, and maybe in their minds, I couldn't deliver. I couldn't deliver it. It wasn't for lack of trying though. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I got, I got them, uh, 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 right around the time that the, the, uh, soundtrack came out, I got, uh, my friend Richard Perry recorded a song with them. You know, I mean to shine. I mean, they got a Barbara Streisand record. You connected them to, to Richard Perry, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't connect them to him. I played him something. I played him a demo or, yeah. some, or something. And he, he, and then I remember Donald and I, one night, you know, we played, I think it was, uh, I think she was, we played Friday night in some toilet someplace. <laughs> and then um, the next morning, I picked them up and we wound up going to Columbia 
studios where the place was packed with musicians. And we taught her, I sang the song, he played it, and we taught her the song. So you sang the song that ultimately got them, you know, on the, I sang on the it Barbara Streisand record. Yeah. And that was the I first official release of a and he Becker played on this yeah. and he played on this on the session. I think Randy Newman played up uh, Randy Newman played the piano and he played the organ. Oh really? I didn't realize that Randy uh, played on that. Wow. You'd have to check the line notes, the yeah. uh, the the credits on I mean to shine the uh, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, you're right. And I know that's the that was the first official release of a Fagan and Becker song was Oh yeah. because Steely Dan didn't come out, you know, for another year or two. So Yeah. So that was your doing. Wow. So yeah, I, I understand your feeling. Um, is that what ultimately led you to say, hey, you know what? It's time that uh, I might, you know, publish some of these songs because you had the rights to the Brill Building demos they recorded, right? How, how did right. it work with the rights or you shared the rights? Well, we had a company, uh, uh, Red Giant, and, you know, which is named after one of the songs on the White Dwarf, Red Giant, White Dwarf on the soundtrack album. You've got to walk it. Yeah. They signed a contract with me. Basically, what happened was uh, they disappeared. And and then uh, 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 somebody called me from, uh, I guess, the company, ABC Dunhill. And say, you know, we're going to, you know, we want the contracts and everything. And I just, I, I really thought at the time, okay. And, and then and they offered me half of the publishing. So you gave them half the rights. So when they went back and they started uh, releasing songs that were those Brill Building demos, like Caves of Altamira, Charlie Freak, Barrytown, uh, you know, some of the Katie Lyde songs. Did you get a piece of the uh, royalties for those or no? I did. Okay. And, and But I, I believe that part of the deal was that uh, Dunhill got half of the publishing of the songs that I had or originally, all of that stuff. And, and I guess to just to get to, you know, the, the release of the album... Becker and Fagg in the early years, I think I was getting divorced at that point, and I had w not wanted to put it out, although, you know, many people had approached me to do it. And at some point, I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to I'm going to make it nice. You know, I would I, I designed the cover, you know, with the ashtray with cigarette butts and, you know, a picture of them. In in the brill in the office, the first couple of weeks that I had met them, and uh, you know, to me, I thought it was good, and I picked what I thought were the ten best songs. And I guess I don't I haven't listened to it in I don't know million years, but I'm sure that those those were aesthetically. You know, I wasn't embarrassed by it, although. You know, I'm sure maybe they they were. And I went to, I had a lawyer at the time, and he he had a guy that was interested in putting it out. And uh, 
I said, you know, whatever you do, I don't want to call it Steely Dan. Because Steely I want Dan it to had be. broken up at this point as well, right? This is in the Well, early. I didn't I didn't know that. I said, Oh, I you don't didn't. want to call it Steely Dan. This was after Asia. So in other words, all of the albums that come out, Yeah. the whole deal had happened. And I said, I, I don't want to call it Steely Dan. Because I don't have anything to do with that. But I have something to do with Becker and Fagan. So I wanted you call it Becker and Fagan the early years. I like that. That was a good, because it is a little different. You know, it sounds different. It's just them. It's the early stuff. It's when they were kind And of this, the songwriting duo before this, the band really took off, right? yeah, of course, exactly. But you see, you see the where the the origins are. You know, you see it, and so then the guy that put it out, I think he gave me it was it wasn't a lot of money. Let's just put it that way, and. He gave me half of the money. He says to the lawyer, he says, does he have any more songs? So I had all of the songs. The piano demos, the stuff that wasn't so great, all of it. Because the early years was only 10 songs, but there were dozens, That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. And that was it. I was done. You were just going to do the first 10, like Brain Tap Shuffle, I, I, I was, that was Soul it. Ram. I was done. I Yeah. was done. That was it. And then uh, the guy says, you know, he says, oh, he says, oh, he says, I just want to hear them. I thought I had a cassette of it, a cassette. And all of the stuff was on there. Because I guess I put it together so I could pick the 10 ones that I wanted to, to use, including, uh, including Yellow Peril. which was always a favorite of mine. On an island of gleaming rocks Jutting up from the blue lagoon A ceremonial music box And from it flowed A bright blue moon That made a hero swoon A fine eye from China He got the cassette and then, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, he gave it back to me or he gave it to the, back to the lawyer. And then maybe a year goes by and all of this shit comes out like all over the world oh boy with pictures of them Steely Dan, all you know, all of that, oh boy yeah so and they linked and up you know and and I I really didn't know what to do yeah and I really I really went crazy, you know I felt so I felt you know ugh you know I would never do that yeah you don't know me that well you don't know me at all but I would never do that yeah and so I you're always you're yeah so your original plan was look I'm gonna you know I'm going through a divorce 
I'm only going to do 10 songs. It's the 10 best. I'm going to release it nicely. And then that'll be it. But then this exactly. guy did not take your, or he broke his promise. He broke his word that he wouldn't release it. And they ended up out there. And then once they were out there, you know, even in a pre-internet era, they got passed. And that was that once they're out there. I know, I know for a fact, even now. Yeah. That those song that those recordings are monetized, but I never, I mean, it's it's fifty years ago or yeah. whatever. I never even, I never even investigated who gave it to. I think you know these there are these collection agencies like TuneCore and Orchard and stuff like that. Those songs are monetized by that by those companies. So somebody, you know, has 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 said to them, "Oh, we own these songs, or we own these masters. I own them. Not that I would ever do anything with them." So you're not getting anything for those. Donald and Walter no. aren't getting for those. They're just out. Other people. They're are. just out there. They're out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, as a fan, as someone who nerds out about this stuff. There's part of me that's happy they're out there because then that means I got to hear them. Songs like Sun Mountain. Like Sun Mountain wasn't on your original release. I think that's a great song. Undecided, Android Warehouse, You Go Where I Go. I don't think those were on or Parker's Band. Some of the no. early versions of, of songs that yeah. became Steely Dan, those came right, out in the, the second wave, right? But those, rec those records, in my mind, are, you know, they're incomplete. They're incomplete. The ones that I put on there had the had a bass, drum, guitar, backgrounds. You know, they were like complete uh, recordings. I see. If you listen to Parker's band, the you know the one that they did, it's probably a piano vocal. And if you listen to uh, "You Go Where I Go," it's Walter playing the bass and 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 singing the bass part and Donald's sitting at the piano playing and, and yeah. you know I'm about to cry and I don't know the reason I can see the start of a difficult season I can't let it get me down when everything is going wrong ain't it good to know that I can be strong darling as long as you I can't complain about the pain and the heart The tears when your kisses disguise the lies My eyes don't see And what do I need to know As long as you go where I go The one that I have that is so wonderful Is Donald singing If It Rains is that on you've got to walk it or no yeah i can't understand how it happened i've run into morning too soon i'm sure as the that yeah 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 it's great he sings it and it's it's a killer you know when i heard him sing i thought to myself well i can't do the nuances i can't i i can't i i He's got to be the guy that sings this stuff. <laughs> and that's how he, I think, ultimately ended up being the lead singer of Steely yeah, Dan because no one else could do it. No one else could do it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Did you uh, ever, have you been in touch at all with Donald since uh, back in the day? I mean, in the last, you know. Well, about, uh, about uh, four years ago, a friend of mine, Leon Chasso, a, a Cuban film director, I could give you his credits. You check it out. Uh, El Cantante, Benero, El Super. He lived on um, Madison and um, 92nd Street. So I'm on the phone with him. I'm in Florida. And I'm on the phone with him. And he says, he says, Fagan's across the street. He's sneaking. He's, you know, trying to be invisible. And, uh, I said, go over. I said, go over there and tell him I'm on the phone. I want to say hello. So he goes over, and the next thing I know, it's Donald's on the phone, and he says, "Hey, hey, dude, how you doing?" I said, "Um, it's good. You know, everything's good." And uh, wow. you know, he says, "I heard you. You know, I'm sorry to hear about your house." And um, so, you know, he he actually, uh, you know, knew that I was. <laughs> still around and we chatted for you know a couple of maybe a minute or two and i said you know give me your phone number i said the next if you you know the next time uh, i'm in new york i'll give you a call so he did wow and uh i came to new york i don't know about six months later and i called him and i left a message and it was him and he answered the answered the the, the machine and i left a message but I didn't hear back from him. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, he's a busy guy, hopefully. Yeah. You know, yeah. He might have been on tour, or who knows? I mean, he's got a lot yeah, of Yeah, it's, it's all good. The boys in this town ain't what they're supposed to be. All healthy and brown, living so
sometimes at night The moon seems to fill the sky 